Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. I started giving on that level so that God would owe me. Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. Harvest responds only to seed, not to prayer. This is not about material wealth. This is about God in his providence orchestrating all of history in order to bring about that which we need more than anything else, and that is to be rescued from God. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Todd? Yeah, Jimmy. Whenever you're ready. For what? We, we've, we've started. <laughs> oh, yes, we started. Isn't that quaint and presumptuous? We don't know when a radio show starts. Uh, well, you know, it starts right now. All righty then. This is Wretched Radio. Don't you love it when academicians actually reveal their university worldview in public? And such is the case with the... <laughs> <laughs> potential future governor of the great state of Georgia. It's lovely here right now. Come on down, y'all, for a visit, because it just don't get any better than what it is right now in Georgia and South Carolina. If you feel like going to communitybiblechurch.us, get to go to a conference. I can't wait to see Beaufort. Can't wait. It is like one of the top cutesy schmootsy towns in the country. Get to go to a conference there. H.B. Charles will be there, and a whole bunch of missionaries are going to be there. Carl Brogy and the gang, they do such a fine job. Looking forward to that, and if you want to enjoy the South at its best, then come on down, y'all. In the meantime, our potential future governor. <laughs> Making comments about the life issue. You may recall a week or two ago, she said that ultrasound machine is just a it's a lie. That's a manufactured heartbeat. They tried to define that a little bit better. They didn't make the situation any better. That's not a real heartbeat. Yeah, that's a sonogram and it's picking up some electro electricity in the heart. But that's not an actual heartbeat. Which, again, brings us back to the fundamental question of the life issue. When does life start? Is it a heartbeat or a genuine heartbeat? Or when the heart beats at 60 plus or, or less than 100? It's all arbitrary. And the recent comment that the future governor of the state of Georgia made was, we don't know when pregnancy starts. Um, how's about when something starts growing. What else does a fertilized egg become? A calculator? It becomes a person each and every time. What a world we live in when our leaders, frankly, talk like sausages on something that is so obvious, which leads us to our subject du jour, which is also the subject of the day. It's delicious. I think I'll try it. Let's talk about talking. Our potential future governor here in the state of Georgia has such a low regard for human life. She is willing to express comments that can only be <laughs> skated by on 
Wow, that sentence structure was dreadful in a university context where the students wouldn't say anything. Well, out in the real world, we are actually pressured by the same tactic to not speak. We can feel the cancel culture bearing down on us. If you say anything about any of these current moral issues, then you are just awful, terrible, regressive, and you need to be canceled or put in jail. By the way, don't know if you saw this potential or this story that is breaking. It was actually recorded. Kind of surprising. In the Wall Street Journal, a Texas nurse was fired because she wouldn't take implicit bias training. Got to tell you, this is going to confront you most likely at every it doesn't matter what level or role you play in an organization. The battle cry of the new progressive movement, which is actually regressive, will mandate that you conform to their morality. Isn't it funny? I just read somebody. You can just Google it. Just Todd read somebody. You'll find it. It's all out there on the Internet. Read somebody who said, isn't it interesting that the conservatives used to be the ones that said, hey, you need to get into moral conformity with these values. Now it's the Democrats, the ones that used to kick against the goads, now are promoting a new morality. And if you don't get in alignment with it, you're out of here. Texas nurse said she was fired, claiming that states across the U.S. are forcing healthcare professionals to make false confessions of racism. And she refused to go along. She requested meetings. Hey, I'd like to talk about this. But because she's a newbie, she's only been nursing for 39 years. They just canned her instead. Why? You will conform. How? Are we going to respond to these things? And you can go on and on with today's headlines, and you can see the new morality in action, not the least of which is the trans issue. Zoinks, Scoob, it's called the Detransitioning Diaries. Have you heard it yet? Whoa, these are stories of people who thought, I'll be happy if only I get my body mutilated. And now they're saying, no, not happy at all. In fact, I'm downright miserable. How do we speak of such things? That is the question du jour. Let's talk about talking. Dr. Erwin Lutzer is our starting place. He wrote a book called We Will Not Be Silenced. Do you know that his book, One Minute After You Die, has sold almost a million copies? Wow, I read it like 20 years ago. Amazing. Nevertheless, one of his latest books, he's been busy. We will not be silenced. He tries to offer us a way to respond to a culture that is becoming hostile to Christianity, Christians, and Christian values. And it ain't an easy walk. I've been looking at this issue, reading about the subject, how Christians historically have responded, how we've been responding in the last 40 years, and how we are talking, or in this instance, not talking about these issues. This is what Dr. Lutzer writes. I dedicate this book to those who seek to stand for the truth and still be loving. 
That's the hard part, isn't it? To those who are willing to be identified with the cross of Christ despite the possible vitriol and consider it a badge of honor, that's the time we are living in. I dedicate this book to all who are convinced that how we are perceived on earth is not as important as how we are perceived in heaven. Hence, he dedicates this book to all who believe that the day of casual commitment to the gospel must come to an end. The question that this book seeks to answer, then, is how do we do that? And it's a pretty healthy tome. It's 250, so this is probably about 70,000, 80,000 words, perhaps. He wrote a follow-up book called No Reason to Hide, where he basically addresses the same subject. Why? Because this ain't easy. How we engage this current culture, it demands biblical veracity, but we are also challenged to be wise as serpents. In other words, we get what's going on around us and consider how we say certain things, because I do believe there can be a bit of variance based on personality, based on giftedness, and based on the culture, and based on the time period in which you live. How Martin Luther spoke in his day, was it considered bold? Yeah. Is it considered, wow, today? Absolutely. John Knox, the thundering Scot, identified even then as a bold speaker today, he would be canceled in a heartbeat, Stacey Abrams. We must consider what time period are we living in? What is my goal in all of this? Is it merely to counter the trans movement? Is it simply just to do away with abortion? Is, is it about saving marriage? Those are questions we need to ask and answer. And Erwin Lutzer's book points us in a rather surprising direction. What we want to win are souls for Jesus Christ. And along the way, we stand for truth. We stand for righteousness. The question is, how do we do that? Especially in a world where you start talking about moral issues, traditional moral issues, and you're considered subversive. This is why you keep seeing the term Christian nationalism every place. If you talk about America and any Christian values that once were woven into the fabric of this nation, you're a Christian nationalist. Then you're opposing democracy. By the way, Jimmy, here's some inverted reality for you. What's that? They, they, I, I don't know which Democrats. I can't recall their names. Saying that it's actually the Republicans that want to defund the police. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, woo, it is all upside down. So let us endeavor, courtesy of Erwin Lutzer, to talk about how we talk so that you and I can receive the praise, not of men, but from God himself. And got to tell you something, this ain't easy these days. Next on Wretched Radio. 
Hmm, something is happening in the Philippines. Wait, I know what it is. Jesus is building his church. Please meet Pastor Kitu Espiritu from the Master's Academy International in the Philippines. Your support allows us to fill pulpits and transform lives. Pastors are being equipped to rightly divide the truth. People in the Philippines are hearing the truth rightly preached and coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus is on the march in the Philippines. Souls are being saved, churches are being built, and yet there are too many empty pulpits. And that is where you come in. Would you please consider filling an empty pulpit in the Philippines so that people can hear the word rightly divided? The Masters Academy International training pastors to do just that in the Philippines and 17 other nations. To learn more, please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Hey, thank you for joining us on Wretched Radio today. You know, we've talked about it so much here on Wretched Radio. The third leading cause of death for Gen Z is suicide. They are depressed, they're anxious, they're suicidal, and they're lost. And Road Trip to Truth is here to help you understand just how to talk and witness to this generation. They have questions, and Road Trip to Truth will help you with the answers to some of the questions they're asking. Seasons 1 and Seasons 2 of Road Trip to Truth available right now at wretched.org or roadtriptotruth.org and it's only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. If you're a gospel partner already, we certainly do appreciate you and your efforts. If you're not a gospel partner, would you please prayerfully consider becoming one? Pray about it. Talk to your spouse about it and go to wretched.org slash donate and there you'll find answers to a lot of the questions you'll likely have. That's wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. 200. That's right. 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Their parents are getting saved. The church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local churches that became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at Tomorrow Clubs org slash wretched important dates in Christian history 1962 second Vatican Council begins the most significant council since Trent it will promote new attitudes and practices in Catholicism as Rome seeks to address the modern age. After Vatican II, priests perform the Mass in the local language whilst facing the congregation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. How would you talk about this? This is Wretched Radio, the era in which we live. It is a cancel culture country, and you and I feel that pressure. The question that confronts all of us today is, how will I speak in this society that is increasingly hostile toward Christianity? We have a case in point. 
the detransition diaries are stories of young people who thought they were this, they got the surgeries done, they realized they were actually that all along, and now they are very unhappy. Question, how do we talk about this issue? On the one hand, you've got people who are hurting and confused, and, and you've got to be mindful of that. You've got to be aware that you can be talking to people who might be in the throes or their kids are in the throes of that consideration. On the other hand, you've got medical professionals that are complicit in the maiming and the dismembering of children. Castrations. Double mastectomies. Whoa. How would we have spoken about somebody who performed those types of operations 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago? We would have said that's an abomination. That is beyond the pale of horrific. You must turn in your license, put down your scalpel and repent. And frankly, I think the law should be involved because what we are doing to people who are indeed hurting and confused is downright criminal. The question, though, is how would we talk about this today? This is a wee bit lengthy, but I do believe that it's compelling from beginning to end. As you hear this tragic story, how should we talk about the subject, about the people under the knife, and about the people who are wielding the scalpel. I decided that I didn't want to be a woman before I had ever even experienced being a woman. I had no idea what being a woman was like because I was a child. And um, now I feel like I will never entirely know. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to say that I really feel like some people in the trans community and the trans medicalists and the doctors really, really target the most vulnerable of us. I have borderline personality disorder, and I know for a fact that this is the reason for my transition. Um, it's a very difficult mental illness, and uh, one of the core features is not having any sense of self or identity. And um, my doctors knew this. Um, I, I told them, even though they didn't ask, um, that I had been diagnosed with BPD. Um, and it was all fine to them. I wasn't happy as a girl, so that meant I was a boy and I was trans. And so I, I just um, took the cure that was handed to me. Um, I, I was told that I was being given a cure and I, I wouldn't want to kill myself anymore. Um, and it wasn't true. I didn't want to cry in this video, but this is such a hard thing to talk about. I, um, I lost a lot of things to this and I just hope that anyone else who's going through what I went through as a young girl will 
not be prescribed hormones and surgery because of other things. Um, you know, there are so many mental health disorders that make you hate your body. And the solution isn't to change your body, it's to fix your brain, you know? Um, I just don't want anyone else to ever feel this way. I lost my voice, I lost my chest. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have kids. Um, I feel like no one wants to date me or love me because I'm ruined. How? Should we talk about a subject that produces lifelong misery in people who are confused? They have read things on the Internet. And by the way, that is where so much of this is coming from. You go out on the Internet and you will not have a hard time being encouraged to change your gender because you don't like the color of your hair or you don't like how much you weigh or how you look, the shape of your ears. Ah, you hate your body, therefore you're the opposite gender. And they cheer for young people to go under the knife to get butchered. And most of these people, incidentally, they come out of it. They realize, whoa, my thinking wasn't in alignment with my gender. You heard the woman say, we don't need to fix their bodies. We need to fix their brains. How should we talk about this subject? Think of life like a comedy club. Believe it or not, when you're doing stand-up comedy, you are mindful of what somebody might hear. It was not uncommon when I was doing stand-up to discover that somebody in the audience came because they were going through chemotherapy or they were going through some sort of horrific physical illness. And I realized I need to be thoughtful for those people that I don't throw out some sort of casual caustic remark about cancer or any other illness because the people who are struggling with it could be hurt by it. Now, you might be saying, well, hey, where's this going? If we modify speech just so we don't hurt people's feelings, then we'll never speak truth. Not saying that. What I am saying is we need to be mindful of two audiences, the people who are struggling and hurting and those people who are perpetrating the crime against those hurting people. We should be talking about these medical professionals in Mengele-esque-like language. This is, this is worse than anything Joe ever considered. <laughs> this would have been pushing it for Germany in the 40s. Today, we're doing it to children. This is barbarism, which, by the way, was thinking about the word barbarian. I think the word is better pronounced barbarian. Because that's where the word came from. People in culture saw an uncivilized group of people who sounded like they were saying bar, 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 bar. So it should be barbarians, not barbarians. Were they right in calling them that? We'll leave that up to the historians. Let's live in the 21st century. How should we be talking to people? Because it would appear we haven't been saying much at all. From Erwin Lutzer's book, We Will Not Be Silenced, it's time for the church to step up to the plate and seize the high moral ground. That's where we stand. 
We're not the knuckleheads. They are desiring to mutilate children and kill babies in the womb and undermine the institution that keeps a society stable. These are not little things. These are big deals. To our shame, writes Lutzer, we are afraid of the secular left. We fear being misquoted by the press, vilified by the special interest groups, and threatened by the radicals. There is no joy in being called racist, hateful, bigoted, homophobic, or accused of imposing our religious views on others. And yet, we have been letting ourselves be silent too much. I know it because I'm guilty of it too. Here's a, here's a test that you have been really kind of silent about it, and I get it. There's manners. This is why this issue about talking about talking is way more challenging than what meets the eye. Have you been in a restaurant and you decided that you wanted to share the thing that you were just looking at on your phone because you should have been looking at your menu or your spouse or kids, but you were looking at your phone and you see it and you go, oh, everybody, look at this story of detransitioning. Have you done that? Brought it down so that nobody hears. Now, there's an appropriate time for that. This isn't an ironclad rule, but perhaps it's an indicator that we've been silent when we shouldn't be. There's another reason, writes Luther, we Lutzer. <laughs> there is another reason we have been silent. We want to be nice, welcoming, and grace-centered. True. We want to present Jesus as Savior to the greatest number of people possible. True. If what we say and believe about the secular left's agenda becomes public, we will be called haters, grace deniers, and legalistic already are. We will be scrutinized with even the smallest offenses magnified. We cannot shout as loudly as the radicals, nor should we. So we retreat into silence. Have we done this subject justice? Not even warm yet. Because this is a difficult and complex issue, but could I at least encourage you, start thinking about speaking this is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, higher education continues to go, well, I don't know where it's going, but it's certainly not higher or education in a lot of instances. Case in point, the University of Minnesota, who now requires med students to take an oath honoring indigenous ways of healing while fighting white supremacy, colonialism, and the gender binary. So apparently, according to the University of Minnesota, when you mix Marxism with paganism and a whole lot of weirdness, what you get is a future doctor. And this next story is not only an example of complete, total, and utter heresy, but it is absolutely demonic. Well, one of the things I think is great about Miss Pentecost is she reminds us that we, we follow a God who calls us to not conform to things of this world. Uh, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Okay, so let me just stop right there. So basically, this Methodist minister was speaking to two children in front of the entire congregation, while also flanked by a drag queen. The drag queen that was joining the minister and these children is up for ordination within this church, and the minister says this ordination is an example of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Disgusting and demonic heresy. 
So a big story about PayPal over the weekend has been reversed today before I even had the opportunity to tell you the original story. But I'll start with that. The original story and report from yesterday is that PayPal has released new terms which allow the company to fine users up to $2,500 if they deem them guilty of spreading misinformation. So they're the judge and jury that has access to your money and if they deem what you've shared on other social media sites to be misinformation, then they can fine you up to $2,500. I guess just take money out of the account of yours that they have access to. But then PayPal decided to balk that new policy back after David Marcus, the former president of PayPal, tweeted the following. A private company now gets to decide to take your money if you say something they disagree with. Insanity. And not only did Marcus chime in, but also PayPal co-founder Elon Musk commented on Marcus's tweet with one simple word. Agreed. And a firestorm then ensued, which eventually caused PayPal to release a statement saying that that the new policy went out in error and PayPal is not actually fining people for misinformation. This language was never intended to be inserted into our policy. We're sorry for the confusion this has caused. I don't think anyone actually believes that. And hey, look, I'm not telling anyone what to do with their money whatsoever, but if it were me, I'm only saying if it were me, I definitely would be attempting to find some alternatives to PayPal. More Wretched Radio, it's straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The Gospel is present throughout all of Scripture, beginning with the book of Genesis. Immediately after the fall, God promises a Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent. Even in the Garden of Eden, God was preparing the means of our salvation through Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Not gonna do it. Wouldn't be prudent. This is Wretched Radio. On the one hand, you have people that are supersonic winsome. That's right. Super, they're, they're very fast while they're being very gentle. They do not think that any word should ever be uttered that might offend anybody. On the other hand, you have people who are more than willing to speak out in very straightforward language without a care in the world about what somebody might think about them or their ideologies. The temptation is to try to find a middle way. Well, let's just find the balance between these two. And while I don't believe that is a worthless exercise, I don't think that's the Christian way, at least not on this subject. Why? Because we aren't trying to navigate our speech through the choppy waters of this culture based on how it might be received. But we don't not want to be mindful. Did we all follow those negatives? We don't not want to be mindful of what the world thinks. And some people are trying to find a middle way. A very compelling article written in the AmericanReformer.org by James Wood. You don't suppose that's the actor, fella, do you? Uh, probably not. I, I don't think so. Very, very helpful in coming up with the biblical way. Now, you can read the article. It's uh, 12 pages long, and you might not have the clarity that you're hoping for. And I don't think it's because you're dumb. It's because this isn't easy. 
And this writer, whether he's a Hollywood actor or not, tries to help us avoid the, what is being called the third way. That, that, that we don't want to really take a stand because that will undermine the gospel. Isn't that part of your concern? It should be part of your concern. I don't want to do anything foolish. I think one of the foolish things that we can do these days is to publicly align ourselves with a particular party. And yet, I think it's quite clear that there is one party that is a million miles away from the bullseye of morality. The other one, well, it, you know, at least their darts hit the board. To me, I, 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 speaking of the American reformer, another article, Friel, would you focus, please? There must be factions, writes this author. Lord, please help our church not to be divided over politics. Consider two different interpretations of this exhortation. We all agree with that, right? Let's not divide over politics. Hold on. There's two manifestations of that. One, our congregations would adhere more and more closely to God's truth, knowing that this is the only path to true unity. In other words, people who are thinking about voting for pro-aborts will have their thinking corrected and join the life club. However, number two, that congregants would come to understand and accept that fellow members may vote and think differently on political and cultural matters and place unity above these disagreements. And this author says, no, you can't do that. You could potentially have done that decades ago, but I'm even hearing some good brothers state, hey, in your church, you've got red, you got blue, you can all get along. Hold on, what issues are we are we? considering by these two different color parties. We're talking about life. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about mutilation, a.k.a. transgenderism. I, I really think that decades ago, you can pick the exact year if you'd like to, you could say that. I would say before 1973, you could say that. Abortion really wasn't being discussed the way that it is today. Uh, in the early 60s, the sexual revolution, even liberals were like, oh, this is kind of pushing it here a little bit. But you didn't have any issues that were life or death that were so culturally damaging that human flourishing would suffer. And so I think that the admonition to not let how you vote cause disunity had a time and had a place, but this ain't it, for whatever it's worth from this particular article. Remember, we're not on the article that we're supposed to be talking about. This person writes, It is easily construed as implying that one's political affiliations and beliefs resemble one's favorite ice cream flavor when we say, it doesn't matter what party you vote for. There's no higher objective truth that we can evaluate such things or that ch church should never be in the business of endorsing moral positions. If you haven't heard the battle cry to not argue over these political issues, um, these are moral issues. Now, it happens to be that it's in the realm of politics, but these are squarely moral issues. Contrary 
to the third wayers, these people who are saying, let's not do anything that would undermine the gospel. We just want to win people. It is patently obvious that one team, the red or blue, one team is closer to the target of morality. To put a fine point on it, one of the two political parties happily presided over and continues to champion the slaughter of millions of human beings. Abortion is not the only salient issue for Christians, but it should be close to black and white for a faithful Christian, not to mention there are countless other issues which Team Red, despite its manifold flaws, is far closer to the target. If you're a Christian who, this is pretty bold, if you're a Christian who votes Democrat or holds progressive political views, you owe your fellow Christians a thoughtful justification for this choice, rather than simply claiming that Christians transcend political divisions. That's bold. But we're living in a different era in American history. One more thought from the article. Cases like this elucidate the false unity that the unity over division view espouses. In other words, maybe we haven't been as unified as we thought, there is a verse that speaks to this subject. First Corinthians eleven nineteen, Rexella. There must be factions among you. What? What? There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. That, hoofda. Yes, we want to be unified, but if we don't have truth then we don't have unity. And what is happening currently in our culture indicates it's been a very, very limp unity amongst brothers and sisters. But that isn't the article that we're actually talking about. Jimmy, please quit interrupting with articles. I'm sorry. On the perils of a winsome ministry. Please note, I I think I'm going to offer this nota bene 18 more times. This is not simple. And we want to make sure that we patiently help one another to sort out the business of how we talk in our current culture. Winsomeness, writes James Wood, is the package approach of cultural engagement that seeks above all to minimize offense so as to maximize the openness to the gospel. Now, That sounds actually pretty good, doesn't it? Because we don't want to be offensive. We've talked about this oodles of times here. We don't want to be unnecessarily obnoxious or or stumble over an issue that isn't the the hill to trip on. We've we've tried to encourage that, but that isn't what some folks are doing these days in evangelicalism. on everything. It doesn't matter if somebody in your church is a pro-abort. It doesn't matter if they're in favor of transitioning little children with a scalpel. Just doesn't, just want to win people. That's imbalanced. Too often, winsomeness translates into niceness. It is a sentiment plus tax. It is a sentimentalized reduction of the biblical vision. What is the biblical vision? It is not the middle way. It's the biblical way. So I want to cast off the harsh speaking and the not speaking modes. 
And I just want to try to figure out the biblical way. I don't want to navigate between two bad ideas thinking, ah, I found the middle way. No, I want the biblical way. So what is winsomeness? Does it mean that we never speak? Well, then Jesus wasn't winsome. Paul wasn't winsome. Peter wasn't winsome. So we know that can't be true. It's strength under control. You have a sword, but you keep it in its sheath. You control yourself. You do things thoughtfully and wisely and with good timing. That's what it means to be winsome. It doesn't mean to be silent. Now, what does that look like? How do we find that delicate tightrope act that you and I are called to perform more than ever? Next on Wretched Radio. If any of you don't mind me saying so, I resonate with this sentiment from Dan Steiner of Preborn Ministries. To be able to look across America and see this Holocaust of abortion and know that people like you are doing something about it. It's one thing to say that we're against abortion, but it's really another to take action. Do you resonate? With that sentiment, then please consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Ultrasounds save lives. For $28, you will be providing an ultrasound that 80% of the time causes the mother to choose life. That's really doing something. May I ask, how many babies' lives could you save for $28 each? Preborn Ministries also preaches the gospel to the mommies and the daddies. And you can learn more at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. In November 2020, Tim Challies and his wife Aileen received the phone call every parent dreads. Their 20-year-old son Nick, while away at seminary, collapsed and died. As Tim and his wife traveled to Louisville, Tim began to do the only thing he knew to do to process his loss. He began to write. And now all of his writings, some of which have been shared publicly, some not until now for the first time, have all been compiled into his latest book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. Seasons of Sorrow is a book for anyone that is loved and lost. It benefits those that are working through sorrow or those that are comforting others. You'll not only see how God is sovereign over loss, but how good he is in those moments. You'll discover how to pass through times of grief while keeping your faith, and you'll learn biblical doctrine can work itself out even in life's most difficult situations. Seasons of Sorrow, available now in the Wretched Store at wretched.org. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health 
sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teaches us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Wisdom of God. The Wisdom of Man says we can earn God's favor through good works, but the Wisdom of God is made known in Jesus Christ. God in human flesh, put to death on the cross to grant us forgiveness we cannot earn. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Punch right, coddle left. This is Wretched Radio. Thank you to James Wood at AmericanReformer.org on the perils of a winsome ministry describing the folks who don't want to participate on the left hand in licentiousness. On the right hand, they don't want to be pharisaical. They don't want to be hurting people's feelings. So what do they do? They chart a middle path or a third way, if you will, in the middle. We're not going to be licentious. We're not going to be critical of those things. We do, we're, and we're not going to be bellicose either. And we're not going to participate in licentiousness. Oh, no, no, we're not going to do that. But we're not going to say a word about it. And this author says these very people are the ones who tend to punch right and coddle left. In other words, when they do have a critique, it's to shame you for saying anything. And then they coddle licentiousness because they don't speak out against us. And I do believe we're getting warm with that statement. What are we after with people? What are we trying to accomplish with folks? And the answer is we want to win them. We do want to win them. And yet we are called to be in this time when all sorts of wonky, deviant, wicked morality is being imposed on our society as the foundations crumble. So we have to speak Let's not find the third way or the middle path or just try to sh between the two people who seem to be warring with one another. No, let's find the biblical way. And that isn't easy because it, it's, it's, it's anybody who says, no, 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 this is simple. You just need to talk like this all the time. No, no, we don't. On the other hand, There might be a time for an occasional whisper. I don't think you need to be in a restaurant and go, so how's about those surgeons that want to mutilate children? But at the same time, I don't think that we need to speak in hushed tones about such things because what we're talking about is barbarism. This is barbaric, what we are doing to people, including killing them in the womb. Winsome third way is... Punch right, coddle left. But the article goes on. If winsomeness has limits and peculiar temptations, what is needed to counterbalance those? Fair enough. So he comes up with three terms that he believes are important for ministry and public witness today. Here they are. Some hopefully helpful, I don't think exhaustive, but hopefully helpful principles. Clarity, courage, resilience. Many Christians... Refuse to do this. Be courageous. 
They nuance away clear biblical teachings about moral issues because they don't want to rock the boat or to look narrow-minded. They assume that addressing these hot-button issues will hinder openness to the gospel message. Furthermore, I think many people are lacking courage because they know that if they stand for truth in the workplace, they can be fired. We're seeing that already, aren't we? In school, you can be kicked out. If you're a professor, these days you can be a professor who gets canned because a bunch of students think your class is just too hard. We're afraid to speak because of the consequences. Might I encourage all of us to consider getting used to it? That this is going to cost somehow, somewhat your job, your grades, Honestly, it it could cost your marriage. I'm not saying that casually, but that is a relationship that could be very volatile and compromised over these issues. We don't want to be brute beasts. We're not the barbarians. But we can't yuck at a mush all the time either. Faithful Christians are also getting tossed in the cultural waves disoriented, confused, and discouraged. They need encouragement to press on. They need to hear from leaders. They aren't crazy and that holding to biblical truths does not make them bigots. The embattled faithful need clearer and courageous leadership. What does that look like? Does it look like a series of events that are being held nationwide these days that is being labeled Christian nationalism? And I think the answer to that is no. These are Christian meetings that basically sound like a political rally. We need to sound like Christians. And if we talk about politics, so be it. But nobody would be confused because they're hearing the word divided and applied. They're not hearing somebody get up in front of an audience of people who are really disgruntled and goading them to fight for America. Not talking about that either. This is why. Nota bene, number 42, this ain't easy. We need ministers to boldly practice church discipline. By the way, here's a story. 390, Emperor Theodosius, in a rage, slaughtered 7,000 people. 390, so it's a Christian nation now, if you will. Bishop Ambrose called him to repent, which Theodosius refused in response to which Ambrose denied communion to the emperor. (laughs) You think that had some risks? Yeah. He had just killed 7,000 people. Eventually, Theodosius did repent, accepting Ambrose's terms for reconciliation, which included the promotion of a law which required a delay of 30 days before any death sentence passed could be enforced. In front of a crowded congregation, Theodosius took off his imperial robes and asked for forgiveness of his sins. Finally, at a church service on Christmas Day, Ambrose administered the sacrament to Theodosius. We need to be as courageous as Ambrose. Not bellicose, not nasty, not condescending, not hateful, but still speaking truth. Scripture is clear. False teachers are to be marked, rebuked, avoided. Gregory the Great, 
This is AD 540. Wrote a book on pastoral ministry called The Book of Pastoral Rule. And he uses a metaphor focusing on nose sizes. A small nose represents a lack of discernment. Such a minister cannot deal with complexity, cannot take in sufficient relevant data. But there is also the problem of the big nose. Such a minister is overly impressed with his ability to nuance, to live in tensions and ambiguities. He can deceive himself by inflating his sense of his own wisdom and can deceive the flock by remaining in subtleties, thus failing to speak clearly about error and deal firmly with wolves. That is our time. We can't have a small or a big nose, which is unfortunate for me, because if this weren't a metaphor, I would be a coddler, a mollifier, and a mush, because this nose. According to Gregory, silence about false teaching is driven by fear of losing favor. They don't want to be accused of being narrow-minded, unloving, and unwidsome. Let's go back to 1600s. Puritan Richard Baxter Christian directory. What is it but hypocrisy to shrink from sufferings and to take up none but safe and easy works and make ourselves believe that the rest are no duties? Indeed, this is the common way of escaping suffering, to neglect the duty that would expose us to it. Any of this getting close to hitting home? should. I'm not sure anybody gets this right all the time. I don't know that anybody can get this balancing act right all the time. But we know this. Hired hands are cowards. True shepherds lay down their life for the sheep. True Christians are willing to take knocks, even if it costs them. Now, you might say, well, this is good to hear because, well, look, it's on radio, so maybe tens and tens of people are hearing this. I'm not alone. Even if you were alone, you still would be called to stand and speak, which, by the way, is a very interesting ending to Ephesians chapter 6. The word stand is used in Ephesians 6.11, 6.13 two times, and 6.14 That's Paul's admonition, his parting shot to the Ephesians. Stand and speak truth in love. Seems to me this is another reminder of the need for the local church. I can't figure this out by myself. I I give myself far too much latitude when it comes to tone. I need your help. You need mine, as painful as that just sounded. We need each other to steer and to guide and not to get snarky with one another, but go, bro, that was maybe just a a tad harsh. Not saying, don't say anything, just just a tad harsh. Or, yo, sister, um, you had an opportunity to speak right there and you didn't do it. We need to be truth tellers. We need to stand and speak. And we need each other to do that. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.